Welcome everyone to another week, another Tuesday of Investors Gallery. Um, I want to thank everyone who was able to make it to Rare Cars and Real Estate uh, this past Thursday. It was our last one for the year, and I think it, I think we did really well. It was a, it was a success in my eyes. Um, so for those who are new and joining, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself and about Investors Gallery. So my name is Presley. I am half uh, Dimensional Capital Partners. We are a multifamily syndication, investment, and development group here in Houston. And I came up with the Investors Gallery because I actually built an art gallery in my home. I love art and I love all things man-made and creative and craftsmanship and all that. And the idea was to shoot a podcast in my art gallery. The running joke is my office is about 95% and the art gallery is almost there. So one day I'll finish it um, and we'll be able to do the podcast in the actual art gallery, but it's on the other side of the wall here. But I brought this, this podcast to fruition because I wanted individuals and the public to be able to meet amazing people like the gentleman I have today. So introduce yourself so I don't mess your name up again. And uh, tell us what you do and how you got there and uh, teach us some stuff. Sure, Presley. Well, it's a pleasure to connect with you and uh, to be introduced to you. And uh, I love the concept of your podcast, The Investor's Gallery. I, too, am a fan of art. And so, um, you know, I consider this us kind of spending time in your gallery together talking <laughs> uh, some of, about some of the things we love, which in th this case, of course, is uh, real estate. And so thank you for inviting me and having me on today. Um, you know, my name is Sohail Hassan. I am one of the managing partners and principal at a private equity real estate firm here in Houston called Market Space Capital, which primarily focuses on the acquisition and, you know, construction of multifamily apartments. And so, you know, two, I have two other partners. There's a guy named David Rodarte. He's been working in real estate his entire career. Uh, started out fixing and flipping homes, worked his way to the commercial sector, um, and now obviously is focused on multifamily. Uh, and then the third partner is a gentleman named Dr. Masaki Oishi, and he's actually a practicing neurosurgeon here in the Houston area. Um, and, you know, he's been, while he uh, obviously is practicing, he's actually been investing in real estate uh, since he was about the age of 16. His family immigrated here from Japan, and uh, you know he was the only one that spoke English uh, well, and so they basically uh, he was responsible for the family's investments, and so you know he's uh, had a very successful career. Uh, he acts as the chairman of Market Space Capital. He is the author of a best-selling book, A Medical Professional's Guide to Investing in Real Estate. I've seen that. And, yeah, so you know he's. Uh, done really well. And so David and Dr. Uishi met in 2009. They made their very first investment together back in 2011, which was for a multifamily property here in the Houston area, uh, which Presley you might be familiar with right around I-10 and Eldridge, right in the energy corridor area of Houston. And, you know, throughout the years, they were acquiring very opportunistic, right? Acquiring retail office assets, um, I met these guys in 2017, and at that time, you know, I was exiting. My background was, uh, you know, working in politics at first, uh, having worked on the Obama campaign in 2008. Uh, after that, I went to 
to DC. I got a master's in political management, which, you know, effectively teaches you um, how to run political campaigns. And there's three, you know, tenants that they really teach you here. One is going to be on message and how to craft your message. Uh, the other one is money and how to fundraise. And the third is mobilization and how to get people to actually do what you want and need to do in terms of voter turnout. Um, and, you know, those three same concepts are applicable almost to any major company as well. Uh, and particularly here in the real estate business, right, where you're having to raise and dial for dollars. Uh, I think that those are kind of the, some of the natural things that uh, were taught to us there. Um, so ultimately, I came out of that with, you know, um, being very passionate about renewable energy and, um, you know, having followed kind of the industry since I was in college uh, at Texas A&M University and understanding that this was going to be kind of the future in terms of the way we consume energy in this country. And so I spent eight years of my life dedicated to the renewable energy sector. Uh, started off with a huge project where we made a lot of money, invested that into some projects that didn't do well. Some were just, you know, passion projects. Um, then, you know, eventually founded a technology company related to the solar industry that we ended up exiting out of. And upon that exit is uh, when I was looking to, you know, deploy capital into real estate investments. And I was introduced to Dr. Oishi and David. And, you know, they had already done some successful investments together, but they were doing these as individual special purpose entities. There was no concept of creating a brand or a firm and raising capital. Um, so that's what we decided to do. And that's when market-based capital was truly formed. Um, and, you know, since then we really uh, have grown. Um, again, we had at that time um, a focus on the retail and the office side. Uh, but right around the 2018-2019 timeframe, we shifted and took a 100%, you know, focused approach on the multifamily asset class. And we actually, you know, it's funny, we had four apartment complexes that we owned and, uh, I'm sorry, four retail shopping centers that we owned and three office buildings. Uh, we started exiting out of those. And the last retail shopping center we exited was in February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And so we were, you know, blessed uh, to be able to kind of get out of that, uh, those, uh, those investments, because as you may know, Presley, during the pandemic, the, the retail and office assets really kind of took a big hit. Big. And in the Houston area, you know, we're really impacted by oil and gas. So the oil and gas market was already kind of on a downturn. So we decided not to make investments into the office asset class. So we were primarily, you know, the office buildings we were invested in are mostly like medical office buildings and things of that nature because of Dr. Oishi's network and connections. Uh, but, you know, we never really sought to go out and buy office assets. And, you know, I think this investment philosophy that we happened to make, you know, months before the pandemic is has been further reinforced, right? Because the multifamily asset class has been kind of one of the best performing uh, above, of course, retail and office, and perhaps right below industrial. So for that reason, you know, it reinforced our thesis to just kind of double down on the multifamily sector. And so we have now kind of created three distinct verticals of our business, Presley. 
the first one, of course, is around the value add strategy, which you know sounds like you're very familiar with in terms of acquiring mismanaged or neglected properties. Uh, and most importantly, understanding that their rents are below market. So of course, we invest capital into renovating those units and then putting them back out onto the market with a modest bump in the rents, right? So we've done this now successfully. And you know, Dr. Wishi and David started this in 2011. We've done a total of 23 of these investments, these value-add investments. We've gone full cycle on 15 of those. So we've kind of created a process internally um, in order to be able to kind of create an engine to source and you know, execute on these deals. And we've been really blessed because you know, we can, of course, you know, I always say that part of our business is threefold. One is finding properties that we want to put our own money into, right? Ultimately, it's like our own savings that is going into this. Uh, secondly, you know, being able to, to source equity to be able to take down those deals. And then the third is being able to execute on your business plan. Like those are the three major components of our, of our operations, as you know. And on the second one of that, you know, because of Dr. Uishi and because he's a physician, you know, we've really developed a robust network of high net worth physicians from all across the country that are looking to deploy capital with us. So roughly about 7,000 accredited investors in our network of which, you know, over 700, uh, now about over 750 have actually converted into investing with us. Um, so with that is how we've been able to really uh, do this. And, you know, on the value add side of the business, we do about four to six acquisitions per year. And, you know, our latest exit was just July 15th of this year, where we exited 624 units that were in the NRG area of Houston, uh, which was about a $75 million exit. So, you know, the, the value add continues to be our bread and butter. And, um, you know, we put a team in place. I'm, I'm very thankful for uh, the people that dedicate their lives here every day, right, to executing on this business plan. Uh, and we've assembled a great team, some of which, of course, you've met already. Um, but aside from that, you know, around that 2018, 2019 timeframe, uh, Presley, we kind of evolved to um, getting into the ground up development side of the business, right? Once you've had a good footing into the value add, um, you know, naturally we kind of went to uh, the ground up development and that, you know, was so that we can continue to provide consistent, you know, returns to our investors that they're expecting, right? Um, and the deals that we're looking at from a value add perspective weren't necessarily penciling out. And so ultimately we found a site here in Houston near Pearland but it's actually, uh, you know, on South Post Oak and Beltway 8. Um, but it is a 155-unit ground-up development of a garden-style multifamily complex. So, you know, simpler product, one building, 155 units, three floors. And basically, you know, it's a $22 million construction cost. Uh, and this is, you know, our first foray into getting into the development side of the business. And, you know, really, it's a learning experience, right? There's the unknowns that you could be as prepared as possible, but market conditions, certain things happen, and you just have to be prepared to go with it. Um, and so that project is now under construction and it's scheduled, units are scheduled to start coming online at the end of this year. So this will present our first kind of full, you know, construction project where we've gone through uh, the complete process. 
but along those lines, you know, right around that 2019, 2020 time frame, we started spending a lot of time in Dallas and understanding that Dallas is one of the best performing real estate markets in the country. Um, we started spending time, money, and resources there. And ultimately, we came across a site that is located directly adjacent to the Dallas Medical Center. It's called um, the Spot at Myra Park. And, you know, this site, not only is it directly adjacent, when I say adjacent, I mean, this site used to be a parking lot for the medical center, but we acquired it from the owners of the hospital. And so now we've been under, you know, we looked at it, the site is right off 635 in Webb's Chapel. So, you know, a major artery going through Dallas, 285,000 cars driving by the site every single day. So we jumped at the opportunity. We acquired the site in May of 2020. We have currently, you know, it took us about a year to get permits and plans approved. We finally kicked off construction and currently uh, it is under construction. So it's 250 units. This is a core luxury asset, five-story wrap, podium-style parking garage. This is a $65 million project. And it is scheduled, units are scheduled to start coming online between Q3 of Q4 and Q4 of next year. So those are the, really the two big ground up development projects. You know, there is another site that we acquired in North Dallas that, uh, you know, initially it basically has like a 20 acre site with a 17,000 square foot mansion that sits on it. And so we really love the mansion and we came up with this site plan that has, you know, 220 units and it incorporates the mansion there for like a leasing office and temporary wow. stay. Um, ultimately, as we were kind of going through it, uh, we were approached by Dr. Horton, uh, who put it under contract to buy out the completed lots from us. So currently, we are expecting just to go horizontal on it, at which point we would exit and then, you know, someone else would go vertical. Um, so this makes up really the, the, the most of our second vertical of our business, which I mentioned to you, the ground of development. And then, of course, the final part of uh, our business is the third vertical, which is made up of mixed-use developments, right? And this is primarily Presley made up of one enormous project. And this is for the repurposing of a shopping mall that is located in a city called Springdale, Ohio, which is about 20 minutes north of Cincinnati. And I'm not sure if you've ever been to Cincinnati or spent time over there, but it's a beautiful city. And, you know, we came across this, this opportunity and not to say Presley, like, you know, there's a lot going on in our own backyard. You know, this Texas has been very busy, but this opportunity came into our laps where basically, you know, there's a shopping mall that's going through what all shopping malls across the country <laughs> are going through, right? 2007, they had 98% occupancy. When we acquired the mall in March of this year, Presley, it had 18% occupancy. Wow. So the Macy's, the C the Dillers, the JCPenney's all gone out of business. And so, you know, the city understanding that this is kind of the cornerstone of their community, right? It's been there for 60 years. Uh, imagine first colony mall in Sugarland. It's, it's akin to that. And so they didn't want it sitting there empty and, you know, dil dilapidated. And so they put together incentives for developers such as us to come in and repurpose the mall. And Presley, those incentives were to the tune of $200 million 
in the form of what is known as tax increment financing or TIF. So we have now, you know, taken over this mall. And, and Presley, typically when you look at these mall acquisitions, there's two things you look at. One is there tend to be a number of owners involved, like eight or nine different owners that own like a big parcel. So there's like, it's a headache to deal with everybody, right? In this case, we have three owners. The first owner was a Chinese company based out of Singapore. The second owner was the Macy's parcel. And the third was the Sears parcel. So we negotiated between all three of them and we basically acquired this mall which, which sits on 75 acres of land. And Presley, there's a saying that says, if you're looking for good real estate, look no further than shopping malls, right? They have the, they're strategically located and they have the ability to capacitate a large amount of people, right? Particularly during like the holiday shopping season. So, you know, this is no different. Now, the second issue with the shopping mall acquisition is that there's typically a high saturation of residential surrounding it, right? So like think West Oaks Mall in Houston, right? One of the reasons why it's sitting there empty and unfortunately cannot be repurposed because there's already a ton of apartments and housing right around it. Hmm. In this particular case, the city of Springdale, you know, they 32 years ago, they basically passed a moratorium that did not allow new multifamily development to come in. And so as a result, it's kind of created this pent-up demand for multifamily housing. And so we have been entitled for up to 2,600 multifamily units. Imagine, Presley, I mean, this, these are numbers that are coming from the city telling us that after they did their analysis, this is what they think that, that this area needs and should support. So that's an enormous amount of units and a, a, you know, a huge project for us, right? So we ended up going through and acquiring this. Um, and as I mentioned, in March of this year, we became the proud owners of the shopping mall. Um, we are now going through a complete transformational change on this property. And just to give you an example, all right, here in this case, we, and this is something that we're you know, trying to answer every day. What is the value of this property, Presley? Okay. Currently, the shopping mall has 3,178 parking spaces, a majority of that coming from two structured parking garages and then some surface parking. And so you can imagine, you know, I'm building a parking garage in Dallas right now, and right. it's costing us right under like $22,000 per parking spot, right? Parking garages are expensive. Yeah, And so in this scenario, let's say we take a conservative value and say $20,000 per parking spot. If I take that times 3,178, I mean, you're looking at like 70 to $80 million of imputed equity just in the parking spaces alone. Right. Again, it's valued at zero to an empty shopping mall, but to our development, we, I don't have to pay to build that, right? right? So this, that's a huge savings to us. You got it. Okay, then well, let's talk about the infrastructure of the mall. I mean, this was an open shopping mall. It had a Foot Locker, Cinnabon. I mean, you could go to visit whatever you wanted up until May 15th of this year when we shut it down. And so the mall was in great shape. Uh, so we you know, think there's about $100 million of infrastructure just in the mall itself, right? The utilities, the water. I mean, the, the, the mall and, and our plan is to basically repurpose 85% of that. Right. So not only are we green from, you know, not putting this into landfills, but we're basically doing our, our work is going to be doing interior finish outs. Right. So 
you know, really cool stuff. And then, you know, kind of the final element when you look into these mall things, you know, is the public funding that's available. Now, again, I mentioned to you, we've been approved for a $200 million TIF. And for those of your listeners that aren't aware, basically it's, you know, done through your property taxes, right? As you pay your property taxes, some of it's going to the city. And in this case, the city is then giving us some of those funds to repurpose it. And really, Presley, those are going to like infrastructure costs, right? To change the streets, to bring relocate power lines and things like that. It's not going into our pockets. It's all going to the project. Right. But those are costs that we would have otherwise wouldn't be able to pay to make this development successful. So the city knows that they have to be able to front some costs in order to make this, uh, you know, a not only a successful investment, but one that is paying property taxes and in turn can then generate more revenues for the right. city. Right. So it's kind of an investments from the city's perspective, right? But that's only the tax increment financing. There's other public grants available for that we've already qualified. New market tax credits in, th in the form of $30 million, Ohio air quality grant, um, EV infrastructure, state and federal funds that are coming from there. I mean, there we estimate, you know, at a good 40 to $50 million of additional incentives that are available to us. So Presley, here we stand where, you know, we've now come up with a total value of somewhere around $400 million for this investment. And, and Presley, we were fortunate enough to buy in at a very low cost basis of only $37 million. Wow. So the upside on a particular project like this, I mean, if you look at it from our business, Presley, of doing multifamily, we would have to do 20 of these multifamily projects to be able to just get to, to the returns that we're offering on this, this type of shopping mall redevelopment. All right. And part of it is that like everything is under one entity, Tri-County Repurposing LLC, and all 75 acres is in that one entity. So immediately we're breaking that up and we're putting that into 22 different entities. So there's an outlying parcel that has like Starbucks, you know, Men's Warehouse, Chipotle, all of that is going to go into its one own entity and be refinanced off. And we're basically doing that to these different parcels. So that's ultimately the basis of our value add strategy from there it's you know bringing in the different retail the multifamily component the green space all that is just additional on top so with that being said you know that's a little bit about myself market space capital and some of the projects that we're working on um, and I'd, I'd love to answer any questions or you know take a deeper dive into any of these projects that you, know, you might be interested in all right, all right, interview's over. Thank you, no. <laughs> no, you did a, did a great job. Um, obviously, you can clearly tell that you have um, experience and um, you, you've done this a few times. Um, through all of my interviews and speeches or whatever I get thrown into, um, I try to point out the gold nuggets. The biggest gold nugget that I want our, our viewers and probably even more so our listeners to catch was not the fact that you guys are experienced, is not the fact that you're successful. I think if someone rewinds this recording and they just listen to what you said, why you said it, and how you said it, they'll understand how to pitch through storytelling. Because that's effectively what you did. 
not specifically and not maybe necessarily intentionally is it's always going to be a little intentional because you know that's why you're on here is to you know brand yourself and let the public know hey i'm a i'm a safe bet you know my company is a safe bet um but for those who are on the capital raising side or the investor relations side um what you did was 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 very well very well done very polished um you know, being in this seat and being in the same industry, I I look for and listen to different things. You know, I know how deals work. You know, I'm, I know what tips are and it's still good information to give the viewers, but I'm listening to how you crafted that story to say, hey, here's, here's why this need was developed. And this is just happens to be the money that's associated to it. But from this story and from these benefits, is how you're able to get such an amazing return. Because people don't want to hear um, or don't want to be sold. They want to hear benefits. They want to know how can their, their being in their everyday lives, and in our case, their money, benefit you, therefore benefiting themselves. If, if I have money and I want to pour into your investment or put into your investment, I, a lot of people don't realize that they don't want to hear. If you, put, if you give me $100,000, then this is the return. They want to hear, this is why this need was created. It was, it was it's a dying, um, uh, dying mall and, you know, explaining that story. And this is what you're doing and we're repurposing it. So I just, uh, I salute you, sir. That was, that was very well done. I have um, 16 million questions from, <laughs> from, your, uh, from your speech. Uh, one question kind of going towards the beginning of the interview or the conversation, you said that you guys, uh, or the, the doctor and his partner had special purpose entities. Were they SPACs or were they just entities um, dealing with only certain asset classes? Yeah, so, you know, every time we, first of all, thank you for everything that you said. And, um, you know, I hope that uh, even if there's even one tidbit of value that your listeners get out of this, then I think we've accomplished our goal. So appreciate everything that you said. And, um, you know, our, 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 we've been very open from the beginning in sharing how we've been able to succeed and hopefully bringing in other sponsors to be able to do the same thing. And, and of course, you know, we've learned from the, the people I, I've been attending boot camps and, you know, took what I learned from there and implemented into our business. And, and as you know, Presley, every day we're improving ourselves, not only professionally, but also personally, right? So that's kind of the goal here. So thank you for saying that. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, you know, the way that we've been able to, every new property that we're acquiring, we're essentially creating a new entity, right? So yeah. that entity is specifically dedicated to that specific property. Okay. So before all of those were being done as, you know, the property's name and maybe the address <laughs> LLC. Uh, now we decided to do kind of everything under the market space capital umbrella. So if you look, it just makes it the org chart that much more complicated, but ultimately, you know, it makes it to where market space capital holdings is the owner of everything, right? Is so, it, so is it a series LLC? Yeah, it's just a Texas-based LLC okay. that, um, that market space capital is. And then underneath that we have ownership into a holding company and the holding company is actually oh, all the gp interest to all of our deals okay so it, it sounds like either a, a series or a master llc or some variant of it 
Um, okay. Um, are you the capital raiser? I am. Yeah. Out of the okay. three of us, um, I'm kind of the responsibility. Of hey, obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, Dr. Oishi and David both also, um, you know, it's a team effort, right? Yeah. So ultimately, uh, we work together to be successful. And we have people on our team, just like, you know, Josh King and these other guys that Josh is a beast, by the way. (laughs) Hats off to Josh. Good, yeah. (laughs) So how did you know, and and this might, this is probably a little bit easier question for for you um, because of your background, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How did you know that when you entered into this partnership that not only just capital raising was kind of the role that you were going to fall into because because obviously if you're coming from a political background where one you have to raise capital and two you have to have the same amount of skill sets how did you know uh, outside of that that capital raising is what you wanted to do and what is different between raising capital for um, multifamily and doing syndications versus a uh, political raise oh great question uh, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that but I'll tell you, it's much easier on the real estate side. <laughs> um, you know, you know, when I worked for the Obama campaign, it was an interesting time because this was, you know, I take you back to November of 2007. And this is a full year before he had run for, you know, or he was in running for president. And, and uh, I basically showed up in Chicago. I had just graduated from Texas A&M University with a degree in poli sci and was ready to go to law school, um, had this opportunity to join the Obama campaign, so went to Chicago, and on the very first day, I, I met President Obama, and immediately was enamored, uh, and, you know, knew that this guy was going to be our next president, and so came back to Houston, packed up all my stuff, and moved out to Chicago, and spent the rest of the, you know, year up until November of 2008, uh, working to help, uh, you know, raise funds, and um, you know, elect him our president. And so at that time, it was really interesting because it was the first candidate in which, you know, it kind of changed the paradigm of how we raise money in the industry. Typically, you have a low amount of donors that are contributing large amounts of capital, but this is the first time where it kind of flipped everything on its head, and you had a large amount of donors now donating a small amount of capital. I mean, the average donation size to President Obama during that election cycle was something like $6, right? And so you're wow. looking at you know, such a small amount, but he did it in such an enormous volume. Right. And of course, you know, this is the advent of the internet. So this is the first time that the internet was really used to, to raise capital as well. So imagine hundreds of millions of dollars were coming in. And at that time, it was relatively easy, uh, you know, because you had such a transformational candidate like you know president obama but i'll tell you with other investors i mean with other um you know contributors it's it's not as easy right especially if you don't have uh, the name recognition um as a candidate whereas with real estate i mean it's kind of different because you're giving them a return on their money right yeah. they're actually investing in something um so it's really seen from that that standpoint um, but, you know, you alluded to this earlier. I mean, we, we take it very seriously, right? We ultimately are the stewards of these people's life savings, you know, even our own, right? Yeah. And so, you know, 
our entire team is dedicated to implementing that business model and making sure that uh, we deliver on the results. And we have, right, on the 15 deals that we exited, we had a 31% IRR that we averaged to our investors. Uh, and I, I think, you know, part of that, of course, is like the hands-on management approach. And then part of it is because we've been lucky due to the market conditions, right? So we're about to see now who the real operators yes. <laughs> uh, as we start going through, you know, very some very tumultuous times. Yeah, I, I hear so many comments. Uh, I was talking, to, I don't know if I was talking to my partner or a friend, um, and I was talking to somebody in our space and they were saying, one of their friends, you know, somebody in our one of our circles could raise money over the weekend. We have friends in the industry who were consistently doing $20 million raises plus between Friday and Monday. And they will send out an email and Monday they're oversubscribed. Wow. And now, you know, those same people, even though, you know, as far as I know, all of the, um, the exits have been, you know, pretty good. Um, they're not getting those same responses. You know, a lot of people are, are, are being fearful and, you know, doing what people do in, in, in a quote unquote recession. Um, what have you seen in the markets as far as you raising money right now? Have you seen a huge shift or is it just a little bit harder? What, what's, what's been going on as far as your investors? So I will say that, um, okay, you know, the story I often say is that the evolution of a private equity real estate state firm is that the partners kind of start out with, you know, their own capital and they prove the model, right? Once the model is proven, then you kind of go out and start raising capital from outside investors. Typically it starts with friends and family. Uh, then ultimately you get to kind of a point where you're attracting retail investors, um, which is kind of where we were around that 2019 timeframe. But at some point you become sophisticated enough, Presley, and you know this, where you start, you know, attracting institutional capital. Yeah. And, you know, we've been, you know, fortunate enough to have an introduction to the largest broker dealer out of South America that we met wow. in 2020. And uh, it's an organization called FINSA. And uh, they basically, you know, contacted us and, uh, or heard me at speaking at an event and, you know, we met afterwards and basically they said, you know, they're looking to deploy capital into us real estate, um, for, you know, South American investors. So after spending, you know, a long time cultivating the relationship, they came down here met with us, visit all of our properties. Uh, we ultimately signed a teaming agreement to be able to deploy $150 million of equity over the next three years. And about $30 million of that equity has already been deployed into a variety of our deals. But, to, you know, as a long answer to your question, I would say two things, right? One is that institutional capital, they have, their business is to deploy funds, yeah. right? That they have to. So no matter what, they're looking for investment vehicles in which to do so in no matter what economy it is. Now, in yeah. this economy, they might, of course, and we have to look even more so at the underwriting and understand the fundamentals of the property. But, you know, an interest rate or an increase in interest rate can't kill, be the deal killer. If that's the case, right. then it's not a good deal in the first place. Right. Right. And so that's kind of the, the answer that I would say there. The, the second part of this is that, you know, this is all cyclical, right? There has to be downs in the market so that there's ups. 
right? And so we know we have to plan in that now. We've been fortunate enough for the last 10 to 12 years, you know, since the 2008 global financial crisis, that we haven't been in a down market. Uh, but again, in those down markets are really where opportunities are seized. Yeah. And the final point I'll leave you leave you with is this, is that on the retail investor standpoint, you know, real estate now more than ever is the most attractive asset class, right? You're not going to, if you, if I, if you had a billion dollars, Presley, you're not going to put it into the stock market, right? There's way too much volatility there. Now there could be opportunities that are going to be happening in the market, but you're not going to put all your money into that, right? Because right. it's simply too volatile. So where else are you going to park your money beside real estate? Right. And as you know, in our industry, man, if there's the market is not doing well, I mean, we just continue to cash flow the asset and give distributions to investors on a quarterly basis. Um, and they're happy, right? Mm -hmm. But if the market conditions, once they do come back around and you know, that's when we would be in a position to then sell the asset. Yeah. So that's why it's one of the most beautiful investments, man. And, you know, it's something I always say, it's like tangible, right? You can go and touch and feel it, right? People yeah. live there, they're paying their rents. So for those reasons, uh, you know, we continue to be very bullish about multifamily. And I will tell you, it's slowed down, right? The deals have slowed down. Uh, the amount that are people are selling, acquiring, um, you know, when in this latest offering that we had the webinar for this evening, it's 738 units with two properties here in the Houston area. And, you know, it's about a 27 or $26 million equity raise. Uh, but even, you know, putting it out to our investors, I mean, we have about 80% of that already committed. So I would say it, it is slowing down from a number standpoint, but Though there are still investors out there, Presley, that have to deploy capital, and they understand that it just sitting in their bank account is not even keeping up with inflation at that point, right? Right, right. I will tell you from from my experience within the last probably, I really want to say three weeks, two weeks to be safe. Uh, my deal flow has jumped exponentially. Prior to the three weeks, I was getting a lot of deal flow from Kentucky and, you know, uh, Ohio, New York, um, a lot of Rust Belt deals. And then something, a light switch flicked or something happened. And uh, I, I sent my partner a screenshot of my email before I got on the podcast. And I think within two hours, I had eight deals sent to me. Um some Rust Belt deals, but Cali deals, Florida deals, uh, some Texas deals in there. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. So I'm, I'm sure to pick up on your side as well. And it also might be that you guys are, you know, your head's down and you're working, you know, um, and not saying that we're not, but, you know, when you're working, you have the, the, uh, the Ohio project, the Cincinnati project, and then what you also have here um, currently so yeah, you guys are kind of busy, you know. So, um, do you guys tend to ten thirty one um, continuously? But how does that look for you guys as far as the exit? Exactly. Yeah, we definitely want to avoid capital gains, and so we set up a ten thirty one structure. And uh, not on all of our deals, like you know, some of them. This this one, we are accepting ten thirty one exchange funds, uh -huh. uh, as we are also deploying some uh, some of that capital from uh, a previous deal that we exited. But I will tell you that the deals that we put in offers for that were turned away have now come back onto our table. 
and, and either the previous <laughs> the previous buyer fell out of contract or was mm-hmm. not able to close. So yeah. understand, you know, because again, they're doing it on such razor thin margins that if there was a small fluctuation to the interest rate, it kills their deal. Yeah. So it fell out of contract. And so when they came back to us, you know, we offered them, you know, another $2,000 less per door and now they're entertaining that deal. Right. So again, yeah. it was, I think there are opportunities that are about to come up. The question really is Presley is in the next six months, is it going to get worse? Right. Because, you know, it takes time for the market to react to what's happening here. Right. Um, and, you know, we have already see positive improvements. I mean, as you mentioned to earlier, I mean, Part of our job, I think, in being in these leadership positions is just educating yourself on the market. Yeah. So I, I dedicate the first 30 minutes or so of my day just looking into what the market is and reading different articles. And so, you know, understanding that the measures that the Fed is taking right now are having a positive impact and that it's finally trending back downwards, uh, inflation that is. Uh, but, you know, how long is it going to take? And this, what reverberating impact is it going to have on the rest of the economy? Yeah. So we know that there's going to be another increase at the end of the year. Uh, The question is, is what look, what does it look like next year? And if there's no reprieve from that, then I think we're really going to start seeing blood in the water and deals that are going to come up for next to nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been seeing that as well. I've been seeing, um, especially because we're here in Houston, um, so many deals, and I'm like, that deal doesn't pencil, and somebody got it, and then I see the deal come back a couple months later, and it's I don't understand. And I've heard so many, um, no, not so many, but I heard of there a few operators who you they just have to do a deal because they have, you know, property management, in-house property management they need to take care of and they need the syndication fees. And we're, my team and I, I obviously your team are, I'm thankful to be blessed to not have to do a deal to do a deal. Yep. And if the deal doesn't look good, keep walking, we're okay. We can still eat, we still pay our bills. We're still okay. And we'll find one that, that makes sense and benefits not only us, but our investors, because that's, the other half of uh, the reason why we do this. Um, I truly believe we could have a three hour conversation, um, but I'm not Joe Rogan. <laughs> I try to keep them to about an hour at least for now. Um, but I do want to uh, hit on a couple of uh, personal notes sure. uh, because I like my audience to see the full picture. So going into, um, into the real estate transitioning from the, from the political life, um, how does the finances look from being a capital raiser, being on a, a campaign trail financially for you versus how does it look and feel? You know, you don't have to give any numbers, but what, what is the difference or is there a big difference? Oh, yeah. Huge difference. I mean, when you're working on a campaign trail, you're getting paid pennies, right? Uh, literally a, a salary of like $60,000. And, you know, that's, uh, you have to be able to survive on that. Uh, Real estate was very different. You know, we paid ourselves a very basic salary starting off um, and really incentivized, you know, the team to perform well. Um, But even now, all of the successes that we have are being reinvested into the company to be able to grow them. Uh, And that's how we bring on great team members like Josh, 
uh, and other members of our team to help you know expand. Right. Um, right now, we just put an entire team together to dedicate full time on the Ohio project, simply because we want to make sure that we have boots on the ground. I mean, this is the biggest project in our entire portfolio, right? And so now we have, you know, around the clock, we got a house over there where, you know, our, our members stay together in the house. We're there almost, you know, uh, two to three weeks out of the month. So it, it, it requires an investment from that standpoint. But I mean, if the question is, is it uh, much, are you much better off in real estate from a financial standpoint than you are working on political campaigns? That's the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Uh, I would say if you're working in political campaigns to make money, that's pr probably not the best motivation to do it because uh, at least on the grassroots side, there's not a lot of money. Maybe in you know running those political campaigns or um, ads and you know being a part of the ad buying to start. Yeah. As you know, there's there's ton pouring tons of money into it, yeah. especially in this election cycle. Uh, but unfortunately, those aren't benefiting you know the actual constituents. How how would you say you've grown and changed as an individual? coming from a, a political campaign trail to multifamily? Well, I would say that it, uh, you know, being on the side of trying to help people, ultimately, you know, we're supporting candidates that are trying to serve these, these underserved, otherwise other underserved communities. And, you know, often they're marginalized, um, they're put in positions where they're set up to fail and we're seeking to you know help those communities right and this goes back to kind of the tenets of what my family has instilled what our religion instills in helping others and i think this is na a natural part of that in that you know our mission statement as a company now is providing affordable and safe communities for our residents to live in right um, and because of my background in renewable energy, there is an element to that of making these assets as sustainable as possible from an energy efficient, water efficiency, renewable energy, you know, perspective. But ultimately, you know, we're providing what everyone needs to survive, which is going to be food, water, and a place to live, right? And we take that very seriously, and we invest, and in, like I mentioned, dedicate our lives every day to to trying to improve these communities. Ultimately, that's what we're doing. We're investing millions of dollars, some of it are our own, yeah. to improve these communities. Um, last question, and then I'll um, see if anybody has uh, questions. Um, if not political campaign trail and not multifamily, uh, what else do you think you would do and have a passion for? So, Oh, as I mentioned, you know, I would love to be in a position to serve others. Um, ultimately, being in a role of, uh, you know, philanthropic, um, giving to other organizations. Uh, my family has always been about that. Uh, and so ultimately, you know, creating a foundation of sorts where we can support uh, philanthropic op op uh, opportunities or, you know, organizations around the world. So I would love, that would be what I would love to dedicate my life to. Yeah, we're gonna be best friends. I like a man with a great heart. That those oh, are really that, good man. friends. <laughs> Thank you, man. I see I look if forward to meeting you in person too. Uh, all right, so I am going to unmute, um, unmute you guys. Um,
before we let Mr. Sohail go, no. uh, anybody have any questions or comments? All right, um, so this will be dispersed. So the full video will be on YouTube. Um, the full audio will be on 15, 20 different podcast sites. Um, and then you will also be, obviously we're on Facebook Live um, and it will also be on LinkedIn. So um, yeah, you're gonna be everywhere. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank and, you for all your efforts. And Presley, you know, one of the things that we didn't get into in this conversation, perhaps we can schedule a separate conversation to dedicate specifically to that topic is to the tokenization of real estate. And mm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that concept. Yes, but it's been popping up. Yeah, so, you know, using blockchain technology in order to, um, you know, change the way that these investments are structured Mm -hmm. um, so we actually, you know, a funny story when David Rodarte, myself and Dr. Oishi met for dinner in 2017 for the very first time, the conversation was about how we can use real estate to disrupt, the, how we can use technology to disrupt the real estate industry. Yeah. And at the time, you know, we were really talking about blockchain, um, but of course, understanding that it was in its infancy we could have, we kind of took a wait and see approach to it, uh, but ultimately around 2020, um, you know, we put a team together internally that was dedicated to understanding what the benefits are um, to implementing tokenization into a real estate investment. And ultimately, we went down the road. And if you recall the project I was telling you about in Dallas, the 250 yeah. unit ground up development over there, we have actually tokenized that project, which really? from our understanding is the very first uh, ground up development project that has been tokenized in the country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these traditional methods, you know, you would sign a subscription agreement with us and you're, you're locked into that partnership, uh, but you own a subscription agreement that says you own, you know, 50,000 units of this LLC or whatever it is. Right. Um, in this case, we would issue you 50,000 tokens each of these tokens use what is known as a stable coin. So one token equals one US dollar. And there's no fluctuation or volatility like there is with Bitcoin or Ethereum. So basically, Presley, you would have this 50,000 tokens of yours in a digital wallet, similar to like a Charles Schwab account. And after 12 months, the SEC says that those tokens become what are known as unrestricted. And you're allowed to now exchange and sell those tokens on a secondary market. Hmm. So what this does is in the previous scenario, in a traditional real estate investment, you're locked into that. There's no liquidity. Inherently, it's an illiquid investment. Whereas now with tokenization, that is no longer the case. Because after 12 months, those investors have the ability to start trading those tokens onto a secondary platform. Now, listen to this, Presley. What gets even more interesting is most retail investors in the US, they typically can't afford a minimum of a $50,000 investment. And so they're you know, typically not able to buy into those types of investments. Some of the crazy statistic, like 92% of the US population wouldn't qualify to be an accredited investor, right? Because they don't meet those 
those qualifications. But now in this scenario, you have the ability to start fractionalizing those tokens. So those 50,000 tokens you own, you put them on the secondary market and you can say, I, I want to sell 5,000 of these. I want to sell 10,000 of them. Now, somebody who, you know, not only in the US, but in Japan, in Korea, uh, in the UK that wants to invest in US real estate, now all they have to do is they come and they buy these tokens and now they become the owner of your LP equity into that deal. They start receiving all of the distributions now and they start receiving all of the benefits that come with that investment from their end. So it's a beautiful thing. We have now implemented it into this first project and uh, perhaps as a teaser to our next interview, um, you know, I'd love to come on and talk to you about kind of the cost benefit analysis that we put together in going down this route uh, and then take a deeper dive into the technology we're using and how we believe this is going to kind of be the way that these transactions are going to start occurring in the very near future. Awesome. Um, I will definitely make sure that this is the first segment that gets cut and um, put on LinkedIn. Um, give the audience a, um, a way to connect with you um the general website because obviously since this is going on the internet somebody's going to find us in 10 years and you might have exited some things so give give us a, a general website where no matter what investment you're in you can always redirect them to what's current sure yeah if you just visit marketspacecapital.com you'll see you know not only the investments that we're offering but a plethora of information related to everything that we do. Um, you know, as we do it, we're kind of writing these white papers and we're, you know, sharing that with our community of investors. Um, so we host, you know, webinars. Uh, we have content that's, you know, going out on all of the various social media platforms. So we encourage you to check out our website or follow us on any of those different on LinkedIn or on, um, on Facebook. Awesome. Um, yeah, man, I can't wait for our lunch. We still doing Meza? Yeah, please. Let's let's coordinate that through Josh. Uh, okay. I don't I think he threw out a date, but I don't know if it was confirmed. We're, but we're heading out of town. And uh, actually, I got my team on, on the call as well. Uh, we're heading out of town Thursday. So um, we'll just we'll have Julie and Josh connect um, and, and get our schedules figured out. Fantastic. Yep. And then um, I think that Josh wanted to coordinate a live networking event with you as well. Awesome. And sponsoring a couple of things. You're out of town for the weekend? Yeah, we're not coming back till um, midnight Sunday. Okay, gotcha. Excellent, man. Well, hey, what a pleasure connecting with you. Thanks again for taking the time here and uh, look forward to meeting you in person soon. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. See you guys later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.